Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's October 12th. 1971, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. My mind is clearer now, at last all too well I can see, where we all soon will be if you strip away the myth from the man you will see. Jesus! (laughs) The opening lines of Jesus Christ Superstar, first sung on Broadway today in history in 1971, when the show began a run of over 700 performances at the Mark Hellinger Theatre. And it is important to note that here we're recalling the first ever Broadway show of Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber's rock opera, which had been having these illegal stage performances that had been cropping up and touring across the United States that actually had to be halted by the US District Court in Manhattan (laughs) with a restraining order that stopped all unauthorized productions. And then you actually had an official production that began that toured around stadia and arenas all around the country that ultimately led us to this rather sort of compressed down version. You know, you think of Broadway as being the biggest possible version of a show, but actually this was a smaller version of the thing that had come before. So at the point where they came up with Jesus Christ Superstar, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice were in their early and mid-twenties. They'd had a modest success in 1968 with the cantata that would go on to become Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Then things didn't go so great. In 1969, they wrote a song for the Eurovision Song Contest called Try It and See, which was not selected, (laughs) much like Katie Price's effort those years ago. Um, But it would go on to be rewritten to become King Herod's song in Jesus Christ Superstar, so they did find a use for it. The issue, of course, is that they had this great idea but musicals are very expensive to stage and this one was a kind of a tough sell in in 1969 one potential investor called a stage show of the life of Jesus Christ the worst idea in history (laughs) so they turned to the concept album and actually several musicals have begun life as concept albums including Les Mis, Chess and Tommy Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber actually went on to do it again in 1976 with Evita so that's what they did and it didn't do that well in the UK even though I feel like we know some of the songs you feel like they were hits apart from I don't know how to love him the, the the album didn't do that great in the US it was a gigantic smash hit it reached number one in February and May on two separate runs and it went on to be the best selling album 1971 beating Carole King's Tapestry possibly one of the most hit laden albums of all time <laughs> yeah and I think actually that was the aim for well at least for Tim Rice that was the aim like he was interested in their publishing contract which is why they were writing songs for Eurovision rather than for musicals but the concept of it actually ever necessarily being a full-blown production was more in Lloyd Webber's head than it was for Tim Rice. He quite liked this idea of, of, of writing a rock album from the perspective of Judas about Jesus's final days 
as an ordinary man, which is what they keep coming back to in the lyrics, isn't it? Mary Magdalene sings. I've had so many men before in many different ways. He's just one more. That was the concept of it. So Rice wrote in his autobiography, From a very young age, I wondered what I might have done in the situations in which Pontius Pilate and Judas Iscariot found themselves. How were they to know that Jesus would be accorded divine status by millions and that they would, as a result, be condemned down the ages? I mean, it's one thing for like Tom Stoppard to put on his, uh, I wonder what Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were up to when they were backstage while Hamlet was (laughs) soliloquizing. But it is a totally other thing to go, hey, those two bad guys, I wonder what what was in their heads. I mean, still, a a great kind of concept for a show, but but audacious is the word. And perhaps only Brits could do it, uh, or at least not Americans. I mean, the reason it was a massive hit in the States, obviously, is because there's a huge evangelical Christian movement. And there was a bit of a Jesus trend going on, as it just so happened to be released over there, following songs like Spirit in the Sky. Um, So there was this weird sort of hippie Jesus thing going on. But they wrote it in a pub in Herefordshire. They wrote it from an Anglican tradition and a sort of intellectual kind of, oh, let's, let's experiment with this idea position. In an environment where you're not expecting that just because you explore an idea to do with Jesus, everyone's going to be upset about it like they are in America, because that doesn't generally happen in Britain. That's not people's first reaction. We're just, but frankly, less devout here. Mm. Yeah, it was very much a part of a trend that was going on at the time because Jesus Christ Superstar would open six months after Stephen Schwartz's Godspell opened off Broadway. And that proved that there was an an atmosphere, there was an appetite for, you know, a dirty, weird Jesus story. (laughs) (laughs) Dirty, weird (laughs) Jesus story. And so that was the, you know, the, the controversy. There was some controversy. It was obviously very popular in the States. A concert performance of the album drew an audience of 13,000 people at Pittsburgh's Civic Arena in 1971. So there was a big audience for it. But yeah, there was a controversy around the fact that, as you touched on, Ollie, it portrayed Jesus as a human with human emotions, such as, you know, doubt, fear, most controversially horniness. This was really hammed up in the initial production as well. Lloyd Webber and Rice weren't super happy with the way it turned out. Mm. It was produced by Robert Stigwood, who had already produced Hair and O. Calcutta on the West End. So he was well versed in controversial shows, but it was a bit much. And it felt like a lot of the critics who saw it, British critics had actually been flown over for the premiere, felt like it wasn't controversial in a creative, interesting way. Mm. And that actually it was just a little bit tacky. But nevertheless, its success was ensured by the fact that by the time this Broadway production opened, the double album had already sold 3.5 million copies around the world. So they knew that they were going to have a hit on their hands, even though, as you were saying, Rebecca, neither uh, Lloyd Webber nor Rice were particularly happy with the production. In a 2015 interview with the New York Post, Lloyd Webber said it was vulgar. The opening night was really rather miserable. One of the worst nights of my life, he said. But I was only 23. I was just a very unhappy kid at the back of the theatre. I mean, the quote that I found that I really enjoyed was when he was relaying the story of how Hal Prince, legendary producer of West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof and Cabaret, which Lloyd Webber loved, had actually wanted to direct it and sent a telegram to his parents' flat offering that he'd like to direct it after they'd sold the rights to the Broadway people. And he said, I could have cried. I still wonder how my career would have been perceived in those early days if he had directed it, rather than my theatrical debut being allowed to be turned into a mountain of kitsch that looked like a monument to a demented pastry chef. Um, And I, I watched a clip of the cast performing on the Tony Awards, and it is really quite surreal and sort of Disney parade-ish what they ended up with. It's all the characters kind of wearing mad outsized costumes, and 
uh, doing sort of odd, like hair-like right. type um, uh, choreography. What? And you're sort of watching it thinking that there's in, like the central idea of this is in like, you know, Jesus and Mary singing to each other, African-American Judas, there's enough going on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you've, you've done enough. You don't need this. What's the pastry chef reference? They were just wearing these mad costumes oh, that okay. looked, I don't know, like, like giant pretzels. Almost like, you know, when you try and get children to eat their vegetables by having someone dress up as a giant broccoli. <laughs> they look like that. <laughs> um, it did get nominated, though, for Best Musical at the Tonys, mm. uh, alongside some other shows that we will have heard of. Grease, mm-hmm. Follies, this was a good year. But also, Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death, me neither. And the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical in this year... Two Gentlemen of Verona. Wow. That classic Shakespearean musical, <laughs> which I've never heard of. I mean, the fact that that one really is a sign that Jesus Christ Superstar was damned with faint praise, really. You know, even though Lloyd Webber himself gave it a much harsher review in later years. At the time, the critics, it was even worse, really, that the critics weren't saying, oh, this is too edgy for Broadway. They were saying, eh, it's fine. You know, it's good. There's some good songs in it. The, Gar- the Guardian excellently summarised the show as the work of two young Englishmen from an original story by God. <laughs> That's what I love about Jesus Christ Superstar, because it enables actors to say, doesn't it, in their CVs in programmes, you know, Jeffrey originated the role of Jesus Christ in the touring yeah. production. Of- <laughs> but even though productions like Hair and Godspell had paved the way for Jesus Christ Superstar, in a way that it ended up suffering from being compared to those. You know, The Guardian compared the musical numbers unfavourably with her, and it said, Rice and Webber intended to make Superstar a head-on confrontation with the Bible story. In fact, there are no fresh insights at all. The feeling, rather, of a couple of talented and trendy young men skirting the problem with slight unease. I think I would agree that it's quite a difficult watch in a theatre. I mean, it's quite intriguing researching this to see how clearly... Rice and Lloyd Webber kind of always preferred it in arenas and stadiums. I'd quite like to go and see it like that because I never have. I've only seen it in the theatre and I do find it quite boring. And I think that's because it was written for an album. It is effectively a rock radio play rather than a stage musical. The Mm. lyrics describe what's happening literally. So there's nothing left to the imagination. There's no book that happens between the songs. And it's just like... They sing everything as they do it. You know, I'm walking yeah. over there. I'm going to nail you to the cross. It's just <laughs> well, like, I, I, I think, nothing's happening in my, in my brain. I think that's part of the reason they ended up having this big problem before the show went on with the unauthorised stagings, because a sung through musical is very easy to stage unauthorisedly. It's not like you have to <laughs> find out what they're saying in between mm. the songs. You just have to sing all of the songs from the album that you've got at home. But also that is very Rice Lloyd Webber, isn't it? Like Cats is just a parade of cats going, I am this cat and I am that cat. And Starlight <laughs> Express is like, I'm the old rusty train and I'm the new electric train. <laughs> like That is what you've got. Tim Rice was involved in neither of those shows. I'm, I will not permit <laughs> Tomorrow. He had four brothers and two sisters. All four of his brothers served honourably without defecting to Nazi Germany. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network.